Previously on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. I think that Zion could be a coach killer. That small ball just ain't going to get it. I mean, it's too gimmicky. It's borderline Harlem Globetrotters, and it's not going to win over time. Hey, we're outside shooting team. If we hit, we win. If we don't, we lose. There's no plan B. Portland can win that series. If I'm picking an upset, this is the one that I'm taking. I ain't getting the one. Devin, if he doesn't win the NBA championship, before he gets to the locker room, they'll be handing him the pizza. <laughs> in my room, you won't see what you saw in Trump's room. <laughs> I wish I could have finished my career out as a Wooler. I was always an Oler at heart. Sometimes you get lonely. We believe in change and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. Let it go out there today, baby. Three, two, one. And once again, our mighty ship is back on course. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Mama, there goes that man. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. I am so glad that you are here. If you've returned to listen to another episode, we certainly appreciate it. If you've listened to every episode, we certainly appreciate it. And if you're brand new, we certainly appreciate you and we hope that you keep coming back. And furthermore, I hope that you become part of this Uh, This community, this Sports Talk with Devin Wade community that we are building. It's our own little uh, Mayberry. Uh, Maybe I'm giving away my age when I reference Mayberry. If you don't know what Mayberry is, it's okay. But it's our own little community. And there were several ways to be interactive and be a part of it. First and foremost, you can go to the WadesWordProductions.com website. Now, that's a mouthful, but WadesWordProductions.com. Go to the website, subscribe to the email list, and look around. You can go to listen to all past episodes. You can see some pics made by some former athletes, some writers, some other folks, some folks a part of uh, KTSU Sports Talk, Ralph Cooper, the legend Ralph cooper silver fox kevin allen you can check out all of those things and other things that i have going on so that's wadeswordproductions.com now if you want to be heard there's several ways to be heard you can go on social media but you can call 24 hours a day the sports talk with devin wade sports line that's 832-941-6614 that's 832-941-6614 you can leave a message 24 hours a day and it very well may be included in an upcoming podcast so hey that's a fun way to be interactive and finally uh, last but not least uh, you can go on social media you can follow me at wade's word and of course uh, the sports talk with devin wade page and group on facebook now this time out we have a pair of former houston oilers the defunct football team well it's not, not defunct they moved to tennessee the, the the current tennessee titans but the former Houston Oilers. We have Eddie Robinson, who played with several teams, including uh, the Titans, uh, the Oilers. Well, he started with the Oilers, Titans, Jacksonville Jaguars, Buffalo Bills, and uh, in the SWAC. He's from the SWAC. So Eddie Robinson, who is part of the special teams unit, he's one of the regular guys who appears. Not he's not a regular guy. He regularly appears on the podcast. We have him coming up. Also, we have former safety Bubba McDowell, currently coaching with the Prairie View A&M. Panthers. So we talked some swag and some Houston Oilers with him and some other stuff pertaining to COVID. So a lot coming up with that. So with that, let's go ahead and get started with some headlines. 
In headlines, for those of you who don't know, I am based in Houston, Texas, and we are just hours away from landfall of Hurricane Laura. Now, it seems like we are going to dodge a bullet here, although, I mean, our fortune is uh, someone else's misfortune, as it looks like it's going to make landfall a few hours from now to the east of us, about 90 miles east of us, so we shouldn't have a lot of damage or flooding and nothing like Harvey, nothing like Ike. But again, that's depending on the forecast. They keep saying it's going to turn, it's going to turn north and it seems like it is, but we have to uh, make sure that that is the case. If it jogs left uh, to the west, 50, 60 miles, uh, we will be in a lot more trouble. So we'll get keeping an eye out on that as we get this done. Um, but also in headlines, on in sports headlines for sure, it's more unrest as we've seen another situation where law enforcement shoots a black man, and when, this time in the back, in the back, shot him in the back, unarmed, with three children in the back seat. So my understanding is there was an altercation. He tried to break up the altercation and law enforcement was called and for whatever reason he got involved in the action looked like he was trying to leave tried to get in his vehicle ignored whatever they were saying i guess he just didn't, didn't want to hear it and left or was trying to leave and was shot in the back and it's, it was just he was shot seven times that's just insane to me like he was it wasn't from across the way it was it was right there in the back now, it looks like he's going to survive, and but will likely be paralyzed from reports. And, of course, athletes in the bubble are really upset about this, and rightfully so. And there's discussion, and we don't know yet, discussion between the Toronto Raptors and the Boston Celtics about possibly not playing game one of the conference semifinals tomorrow. So we don't know yet what's going to happen with that. We'll have to see, but a lot of folks are speaking out again. It's more of the same as it pertains to just the issues between law enforcement and the African-American community. This was in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I don't know where that is, and I don't, I don't know a lot. I know Milwaukee has some racial issues. I do know that. And you would think, you know, the Midwest, good farm people, and dairy and cheese and all. And brothers up there catching hell. But brothers, a lot of places are catching hell. So that's going on, and we'll have to see as the ramifications for that continue. The protests will continue. Athletes are looking for more and more ways to speak out and make an impact on this situation and not let Black Lives Matter be forgotten about. And, again, just have more power to them and more power to everyone trying to shed light on this situation and affect change. And I think that there's been a lull in that energy because so much more is going on. You have economic issues, you have COVID issues, you have COVID fatigue, you have the rhetoric of the election and all of those things. You know, we have a short attention span here in the United States. So those sort of things, sorts of things have been on the back burner. But the athletes are keeping them first and foremost in their thoughts and in their actions uh, vocally from the bubble and, and Detroit, uh, the Detroit Lions uh, yesterday did not practice. They were affected by this and we'll have to continue to see what kind of fallout we'll have from this situation. But on the court, it seems like all is well in the Western Conference as both the Lakers and the Clippers have asserted their dominance in their prospective series. 
with the Clippers winning last night without a or with the Mavericks not having Porzingis, they sort of were, were able to uh, sort of clamp down on uh, Luka Doncic, and uh, they won that game. They're up 3-2 in addition to that Portland is all but dead. Uh, as they go down 3-1, to one, Dame Lillard will not play in game five, so that may be all she wrote in that series. And so all of that excitement and fanfare around that game one victory and all the things leading up to it hadn't quite panned out we've already seen some victims uh, some coaching victims of the bubble as Nate McMillan was fired today and also Brett Brown for the Philadelphia 76ers he was let go and uh, we'll have to see what happens moving forward as it pertains to coaching Eastern Conference is moving forward Uh, as I said Boston and Toronto set to play game one soon in addition to that Milwaukee has to close out Orlando and then they will face the Miami Heat. So that's going to be fun to watch as well. So Rockets play this afternoon, and uh, they're tied at 2-2. We'll talk about that with Eddie Robinson a little bit. But it boils down to exactly what we talked about, 58 three-point attempts. And for the first three quarters, the Rockets were hot, 19-39. But they end the game uh, uh, with a shooting in the fourth quarter, four of 19 in the fourth quarter. And they just couldn't put together, uh, they couldn't get the two-point baskets or get to the line like they usually do in the fourth quarter. And Harden, is, he fouled out of one game, came close to fouling out of another. And it, it seems like they just didn't have the intensity in the last few minutes to close these games out. And Chris Paul said, hey, you're not going to do it. I will. I know what to do. And so <laughs> that's what <laughs> that's what he did. And now they're tied up at 2-2 with game five coming up. So with that, I want to get into our conversation with Eddie Robinson. And I think Eddie is, Eddie is using this podcast. And I say that because Eddie – gets an opportunity to talk about European sports. Now, I bet you he doesn't have five friends that he can have an in-depth conversation about the Tour de France of Formula One with. So he comes here, <laughs> and we we indulge him enough so we get an opportunity to hear him talk about the Tour de France, and uh, that's always fun. So that's coming up, and our conversation with Bob McDowell. Let's get into our convo with Eddie Robinson on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast, anywhere you get your podcast. The European sports nerd is in the building. How are you this afternoon? Hey, man, I'm doing good, man. This, this is like Christmas in July. I'm I'm sure you don't know. Well, let me say Christmas in August. The Tour de France is starting on Saturday. So, I mean, that should be, you should be, man, jumping up and down because we get a full month, 28 straight, 30 straight days of racing with the Tour de France. They only get, they get a day off every now and then. But, I mean, can you be more excited? I mean, hey, tennis is starting up. Of course, Formula One is going. The Indianapolis 500 just happened. I mean, it's great. But no, you sports can't. Day. You, you hey. can't bring up the year the the Indy 500. That's not in Europe. <laughs> That's in Indiana. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I did watch it. Cars, open open wheel racing. You know, you so, they're not putting duct tape on them cars. You know, you got to race them. Can't bump them into each other. <laughs> so I remember the days before there was a before Indian Formula One. I guess broke up. 
But I remember they were all together. And then the IndyCar, they broke apart, and they, now they're doing their own thing for the last probably 30 years now. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, I mean motor, motor racing has a, has a good history, man. NASCAR is doing well, too, man. I, I still enjoy Thing with NASCAR, they just go round and round, round and round, round and round. I mean, you, you got to make some lefts and rights. You know, if it rains, you got to put on your wipers. You, you got to keep riding. You can't just have a couple drops in the sky and you park the cars. So. They did do the off-road thing at Indy, so I did see that a couple weeks ago. I'm trying to root for Bubba Wallace. It hadn't worked out so well lately. He's not going to make the playoffs. But that being said, when you talk about the Tour de France, I know there's a lot of strategy involved. There are parts of it I just really don't understand. I mean, I know the time trials and and the, the Peloton and all of that. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't I – Well, I'm going I'm to I'm give you the quick – 15 second version because i know you're gonna try to add crickets or you know, right. helicopter music <laughs> yeah. I, I know you i know you're gonna try to put something in the background so I'm, I'm gonna give you the quick version so the biggest thing and i didn't really get into this until i started doing some serious road bike riding that people don't realize is the tour de france is such a team sport so i think I want to say maybe down to eight riders now. But I think at some point they just cut it down to the number of riders that each team can have. So you have a whole team, like you have Ineos, and they're they're the probably favorite. They have Bernardi now. He's a young Colombian who won last year, is coming back this year. And so everybody's racing for him. He's the team leader. Unless he crashes out or has some serious, you know, bad luck or something bad happens. So everybody else is sacrificing for this one guy to win. And and, and he gets all of the glory. It's almost like, you know, the star quarterback or the star running back. And everybody else is like an offensive lineman or a linebacker or a defensive guy. And, and while he's the guy that's in the headlines, it's like you can't win without having a great team. So and what the are biggest those guys? story right now is that you had two former winners, Chris Froome, and Garrett Thomas, both of them all race for Ineos. So you had three former winners on the same team. And both of those guys, they left off the Tour de France roster. So everybody can race for Bernardi now, who's this super, you know, young Colombian who's just kind of taking over the sport. And uh, so it should be interesting to see if he can if he can repeat and uh, live up to the billing. And um, so it's, it's going to be a great race because you have another team, you know, Jumbo Visma, I think it is, that, that has a, a really good chance of winning. Also, they have a guy that's that's doing super great. He just won a couple races. So I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a right. lot of drama. So yeah. what, uh, I'm sure it, you are too. Yeah, yeah. And, and so my, here's my question. I think that cycling had its peak with Armstrong, Lance Armstrong. And when that, that sort of that iconic sort of Mount Rushmore statue fell apart, I think people abandoned the sport altogether. Right, right. And I think it's same, same with track. I think when you start talking about uh, drugging and juicing and all of those things, those things, the only sport that rebounded from that has been baseball. But baseball, I right. I think right. track, track and field in America is really hurt from that. I mean, I know track's still huge in Europe, but I think the same thing with cycling. It was already a thing, like, you know, Americans, if we're not winning, we're not that interested in it. Well, yeah, I think I, I think it's like anything else. I mean, I look at Formula One. So you have, you know, one African, one, well, not African, but one black guy that has ever raced in Formula One. Of course, we know that's Lewis Hamilton. He's like the rock star doing great. But it's always good to watch a sport where you have somebody that looks like you that's doing well. I mean, I don't care. I'm, I'm Black Lives Matter. We all want to be equal. We all want to treat everybody the same. And I totally get that. And I support that a thousand percent. But, you know, when I cheer for sports, I'm going to usually, if I have 
no concept of what's going on, don't know the sport, don't know the players, what you going to do? You cheer for the black guy. And you're going <laughs> to cheer for the guy that looks like you. If you a Chinese guy, hey, a Chinese guy, I'm going to cheer for the Chinese guy, he looks like me. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, and I don't, I don't think anything's wrong with that. I think that's just a natural inclination. So I think with cycling, when you had like Greg LeMond, you know, you had um, Lance Armstrong, you had a guy that was part of your country. He was, he was USA. I'm going to cheer for the American. You know, so now you don't really have that guy who's who can actually win and do well so the media doesn't focus in on it the fans don't focus in on it so in europe you know they have i mean they those guys are like if you're belgium and, and you're a cyclist or norwegian or you know italian and you're a cyclist i mean you're like the guy everybody knows you by name you're everywhere and so it's just a a total different culture that's you know kind of like with football with soccer i mean soccer is huge there i mean and you know, soccer player walks down the street here. Yeah, we're like, hey, who? Hey, who's that? You know, so it's just yeah, different culture. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, that's changing with soccer as soccer's popularity is growing. I want to talk about the, what's popular here, and that's the NBA. All right, what you got? What you got? NBA playoffs, the Rockets, man. Uh, so the Rockets in the fourth quarter go 4 of 19 from the three-point line. <laughs> they lose to Oklahoma City. Now that series is tied. No Westbrook, which again before the the series started, I said, well, I picked OKC without Westbrook. If Westbrook wasn't gonna play, I picked, I picked OKC to win. But then the Rockets came out two straight and they looked great. They shot well. Their role players came up big, Jeff Green and and Mclemore and and all those guys came up big. But again, now in the last couple of games down the stretch, they had opportunities. Late turnovers by Harden, just poor shooting in the fourth quarter. At one point, they were what for the for the first three quarters, nineteen and thirty nine from three point land. They shot fifty eight three pointers yesterday. So, uh, so again, uh, the formula is it gets them to near the finish line. But the last two uh, games out, they have not been able to finish. What's your thoughts on Oklahoma City and the Rockets? You know, I'm a rocket season ticket holder. I've, I've you know, I've, I'm go back to the to the Kareem. I mean, um, to the dream days. You know, to Akeem Olajuwon. So, I mean, I, I've I've always lived and died with the Rockets since I've been into NBA basketball. So, and, you know, yeah, the, the, that three point those attempts, I man, you shoot yourself in and you shoot yourself out. And I think if you're playing against the Rockets, it was a stretch when they kind of extended that lead in the third quarter. Maybe went up by 11 or 12 points. And you got to give Chris Paul credit. First of all, he hit on the Alabama State shoes. I mean, I love that he's rocking the HBCU shoes. So for that for that reason alone, I got a root for Chris Paul. But he took control of the game. And the way he did it was he backed down P.J. Tucker, stopped, bam, made, made the little 12-footer, which for Chris Paul is like shooting a layup. The dude can shoot probably 90% on those little mid-range shots. And so while the Rockets came back and shot a three, he came back. Bam, shot an easy two. For, for him, it was like a layup. So he would say, you know what? I'm going to bank that the Rockets cannot keep shooting at this level. And that's what happened. They kept taking the two-pointers. They kept playing good defense. They slowly got back in the game. And then the Rockets kept shooting the threes and started to miss. So, I mean, that's the philosophy that we that we have to live and die with. So when you, when you start to miss those three-pointers, you have to pick it up on defense even more. So I think, you know, what happened is the guards for OKC the last two games have just been playing exceptional. Some, yeah. you know, they, they're, they're kind of 
they're, they're playing with house money. And so when I, when I say that, I mean, they're shooting a little bit better. They're playing above their normal project production. And so to me, I think that's going to fizzle out. You know, if you're playing, you, you know, you, you're averaging 18 points and then you put up a, a 29 and a 32 games in a row. You know what? That third game, you're going to go back to 10. It's all going to average out. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not concerned about the series. I think the Rockets will still win. If Westbrook can come back, I think it, it'll be almost in the bag. But at the same time, they, you definitely have your back against the wall, against a dangerous team. So the Rockets have to step up and have to get those layup shots because that's what Westbrook gives you. He gives you those consistent I'm going hard to the hole and getting a layup. He gets he gets all of the two pointers, and so the only other person that's consistently going to the goal is Eric Gordon when the space gets floored. And you know, of course, Harden he does well everything that Harden does. So I think the the Rockets need that other guy, Jeff Green, can do it, who can go to the hole and get some layups. So those stretches when the threes aren't hitting, you have another alternative to score. Well, and not only that, when you drive to the basket and not have Westbrook, I think there was the 18 uh, attempt difference between uh, the Thunder and the Rockets as it pertains to getting to the free throw line. I think uh, I think right. the, the Thunder yep. got to the line twenty eight times. I think the Rockets were at they want to say ten. I want to say they only yeah, shot ten you know, free throws. And Harden Harden gets 20, 20 free throws by himself on a good day. You know he keeps shaking that free throw cup and they keep throwing them them quarters in there. So I mean, so that was kind of. You know, one of those stats that's unusual for the Rockets to not get the free throw attempts. The other compelling series turned out to not be so compelling to this point now uh, with Portland going down 3-1 to one to the Lakers. Everybody was excited about the Portland, and rightfully so. They had a great run leading up to the playoffs. They came out, played well. And and since then, <laughs> since the game one, they've not had a good uh, time of it at all, being blown out really by before the fourth quarter in the last couple of games. What do you make of that series? Uh, man, it's, it is what it is. I mean, the Lakers are clearly the better team. Portland, I mean, Lillard would, Damian Lillard would have to have his cape on every night. And, you know, can you play at that level for four games out of seven? Uh, Hard-pressed. They may come back and win one more, but what's what's happening, I think, is, you know, when you don't have that home in a way, you know, say if Portland was down and the next game was in Portland, you can say, hey, the home crowd could will them the victory. Well, there's no home crowd right now. So you're in a neutral site. You know, you're you like in the backyard with nobody watching. You know, you fall down, you're down 3-1 and, and, you, and you fall down 15 points. Man, you start thinking about, man, we getting out this bubble tomorrow. We about to go hang out with our friends. And so I think uh, you just kind of start to see the writing on the wall. I, I don't see that being a problem for the Lakers at all. Well, it, I'm just disappointed in, in Nurkic's defensive performance and just you can't count on – I mean, McCollum has not really played well in this series. Anthony had – I mean, you know, Portland's, had, Portland's not a contender. What you disappointed about? Well, they, 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 they are what they are. Well, they, they, they're they're not, happy to make the playoffs. Well, well <laughs> they are because they had a, a bunch of – Injuries all season long, so I mean that's been an issue for them, and still they're missing Collins, so they don't they don't have that other big athletic big body. Right, they're they're a player or two away. I mean, yeah, Damian Lillard, but all he can do. But you, to me, you got to trade somebody and or add another guy. Maybe maybe Embiid, maybe they maybe they break up Philly. Maybe you get Embiid and and trade McCollum or something like that. I don't know, but they need another guy. But right now, Lillard is just going to be highlight guy, seven seed, eight seed, maybe the six seed. But they're not a championship squad the way they're constructed right now.
I think this Western Conference is wide open. And well, I mean, for the, for the the Eastern Conference too, for that matter. I think it's wide open um, when you start talking about the next round of matchups with uh, Milwaukee and Miami. Uh, presumably, I think uh, Milwaukee still has to close that one out. But so a lot of good basketball left to to play. Want to ask you about the Clippers and Luka Doncic? What do you think of that series? I think Dallas is the is the the guy. If I had to bet on the underdog, that that's who I would bet on. I mean, I think Luka is just. I mean, he's the next James Harden. I mean, this guy can score however he wants to. I mean, he if you look at him, his game is is probably exactly like James Harden. He has the step back. He has the stop and go. He has the go to the lane hard. You know, he plays defense a little bit. <laughs> so, I mean, he, he's like the, the next James Harden. The guy's been a pro for a long time, and, and I, I like the way that team is really coming together. So I, I think Dallas, if, if they don't get it done this year, Next year, I mean, you can put a lot of pieces around around the players that they have, and you can really see the writing on the wall where they are the team, to me, that's most poised to make that next step in the West in the next two or three years. Oh, yeah, yeah, especially if they can stay healthy. Porzingis is not going to play in Game 5, so he won't be available. So it'll take another monster effort by Luka to, to make it happen. Uh, want to talk some NFL. You're a former NFL guy, retired NFL guy. Earl Thomas, he is. He was released by Baltimore. Uh, they're going after his guaranteed money. He, he punched a teammate, and they said it's conduct detrimental to the team. And uh, I, I guess we're getting ready to fight it out, or those uh, parties are getting ready to fight it out for $10 million in guaranteed money this season. What do you think about that whole situation? Yeah, I mean, come on, man. We're 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 all grown, man. We we, I mean, I can't tell you. I mean, you know how the Oilers was. It was like the Wild West. You know how many fights we had right before practice, and I mean, I, I can I can right before the game in the locker room on the field with Buddy Ryan. I mean, it's, it goes on and on. So I mean, to take ten million dollars away from a guy because he punched somebody in the face. I mean. If if they wanted to suspend him, they could have suspended him. They could have fined him. It's, it's other ways you can get some of the money back. But if you made the mistake of giving, and I'm not saying it was a mistake, but but obviously the Ravens feel like it was. So if you feel like you've made a mistake and gave a guy $10 million and now it's not working out, well, that's on you. That's buyer error. So you just have to take it and move on because there's a lot of players that you took advantage of that you never paid what they were really worth. So now if it's one guy who, you know, is, is on the, the top side of that quarter, then that's just kind of part of it. So I, I don't see, you know, what's the claim that they would realistically have for going after a whole bonus because he got in a fight with somebody. Even if it was a sucker punch, I mean, unless you put this guy in a hospital and just did some, you know, stuff that was assault and battery, then then maybe at that point. But even with that, I still don't see how you can take a bonus. That just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And of course, you know, the NFLPA is going to agree with me and they're going to have their lawyers rolled out. And, and, and you can't, from, from the player standpoint, you can't let that precedent be set where the owners can say, oh, if you do this, 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 we can take back your guaranteed money. Because at that point, it's not really guaranteed money. Guaranteed money is you gave it to me, and I got it, regardless of what I do. I understand that point. 
But I also understand that Baltimore would not have released him if they didn't think that they could make a case for recouping those those monies. I, I just think that, uh, and whether or not they can, you know, because I think they're still working out the Antonio Brown thing. I don't know that that's totally resolved. I have to look that one up. But best believe they would have worked out something. I think there was a pattern of behavior that they're going to try to cite to to take the money. But again, like you said, in the NBA, if it, no matter what you do, if it's guaranteed, it's guaranteed. It should be. The same. Guaranteed, correct. Because you didn't, you didn't have to cut him. You could have just kept him on there. You could have sat him on the bench. You could have kept finding him. You could have made him inactive week that week after week. They said that he had a pattern of showing up late to meetings. From what I read, you know, who knows what the true story is? But I mean, those things that you just increased the fine, and I think the fines right now are extremely high. I mean, it used to be like five hundred bucks for showing up late. Now it it may be like three thousand or something like that. I mean, it's it's like the numbers are. Is super beneficial where you can get the point that hey, keep showing up late, and we'll be at fifty thousand before you know it. So you could have just kept finding him more and more and a higher and higher amount. But to say that the conduct detrimental warrants you taking back a ten million dollar signing bonus that was a guaranteed bonus to me that that just doesn't. I don't see how that's really gonna fly unless you know there's some language in the CBA that the NFLPA allowed to be in there which they shouldn't have agreed to if that's the case that allows the the NFL owners to say hey yeah we can we can take back guaranteed money based on the actions of a player which aren't severe. I mean obviously if you go out and you know commit a murder or you're selling drugs or you're doing something that's a class A felony, you know something like that, yeah that's conduct detrimental to the team, but honestly even in that case, you should not have to return guaranteed money because they've paid you based on the potential of what you may do. You know, the guaranteed money is based on what I've done the previous eight years and what you think I'm going to do in the future is based on potential. So if that potential doesn't work out, it's no guarantee that I'm going to deliver as a player. I've earned that money based on my past performance. That's why you pay me. And you pay me based on what you hope I do in the future. But it's no guarantee that I'm ever going to deliver. I may miss every tackle. I may drop every pass. My skill level may diminish to the point where you make a huge mistake. You see it in baseball all the time. You have guys, uh, what, Bonilla, who was with the power. He was sitting at home collecting a check for like six or seven years, well, like no, he's 20 still, million he, a year. He, no, he still has. Every July 1st, he still gets a check for the next 10 or 15 years. So, But that, right. but that, but yeah, that's, that was just the, the deal he signed. He, I mean, I think he was still – he was creative. His agent was really creative in how he got his big, big money. Uh, but that's that was a little bit different. But I, the, the player in Baltimore but you, but that you I understand my point yeah, it's like skill that, level conduct yeah. all of that stuff it should be some very rare cases where a guy has to return guaranteed money now, of course i'm speaking as a player as you can tell <laughs> obviously so i i'm definitely biased because you know I, I i talk to fans and they're like oh man this guy he he's stealing money he's stealing money man well you know what how many times have the owners stole money from players how many times especially before free agency where guys were underpaid for years and years. Yeah, I'm going to give you your contract next year. A guy gets hurt. He tears up a knee. Oh, man, you better come back healthy and prove yourself. So how many times have players overperformed the contract and didn't get compensated for it? I mean, you got way more of those stories than you have Earl Thomas stories, I guarantee right, right. And And that goes back to the phenomenon of why do – Fans always usually side with the owners over the players. Yeah, the same one that's charging you ten dollars for a hot dog. You want to side with that guy who keep making you buy PSLs? Come on, man! It's like <laughs> right, right. The, the player, the players are the person that the people that you should side with. And I and I understand, you know, if, if you're a guy, hey, I'm a 
I work at the barbershop and I'm making fifty thousand a year and I'm putting my hard ass money on my hard earned money on the game. And then, you know, my favorite player is telling me he's holding out because he wants fifteen million instead of seven. I'm like, come on, dude. Really? Must have and, I have, and I and I bought your jersey, man. My son wanna see you play and now you on the sideline talking about you not so I totally understand from a fan standpoint, it's like I'll take seven million any time or any day of the year. So I definitely sympathize with the fans and how they feel. But at the same time, you have to look at if it's an owner who's willing to pay fifteen million, he's obviously making a whole lot more than that. <laughs> right, right. And I think that that's where the players' union they need to also be proactive with the narrative before. Uh, it comes to sort of labor strife before it even gets to that point uh, that the narrative should be controlled by the players union as much as possible. And they need to get much more creative in how they do that. But that's, a, that's a different subject. I want to ask you about the NFL, no training camp, starting to see some injuries kind of rack up here. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. First of all, do you think that the NFL will be able to move forward successfully in this COVID era? And the, the second question I want to ask you is, what do you think can be learned by the lack of preseason games moving forward? And do you think that they'll have reduced games or no preseason moving forward after COVID? Well, I, I think with the first question, I, I think the NFL has about an 80% chance of, you know, moving along successfully. But, I mean, kind of like with baseball, all it takes is one guy. You know, it, it takes – it takes one guy to say, hey, and man, he can I wipe to go out to the everybody. casino last night. Yeah, he can wipe yeah. out everybody. Uh, everybody, yeah, yeah. right. And and the thing about football is that the player, it's not really the game that's so that's so dangerous. It's that, that the guys are just in constant contact with each other for six months straight. And I'm seeing you six days out of the week, most of the time seven. You may get one day off, and that's on the airplane, that's in the meeting room, that's in the lunchroom, that's everything else. So it's just that constant contact with players. And I'm sure that they have – you know, people working out in groups and they're sanitizing the machines and all. I know, a, you know, a guy that's at a, one of the Power Five conferences that are still playing, and he's telling me all of the steps that they're doing as far as working out in groups, the constant testing, you know, cleaning, sanitizing the weight, weight room when one group leaves before the next group comes in. So they're taking all kind of extra precaution steps. So if somebody gets it, it can stay within this group and you can trace it back and all that stuff. You know, with, with that being said, yeah, they they can possibly control it, but it, it can it can hit one team, and then you know, say for example, on Monday morning, if I have ten players slash staff of the Saints who have COVID and they just played the Falcons on Sunday, does that mean that neither team can play the next week? Because I don't know how many of the Falcons may have it because they just played on Sunday, you know. So all it's going to take is for one team to get it, and then it's not like baseball. Like for baseball. If you have the Marlins and you have a lot of guys on COVID, hey, you suspend the season. Well, you know what? We can come back and play a double hitter game on a Wednesday and play two seven inning games, which is kind of how baseball is making up those games that they've missed. They'll play. Matter of fact, I think the Yankees may be on the day because of that. But anyway, that's, I digress. So they so they can make up games in football. If that happens in football and if the if the Saints can't play the Panthers because of something that happened the week before, how can you make that up? So now we're going to have some teams that have played 16 games at the end of the season. Some play 14. Some, so you see how confusing it can get. It's like 
I think the margin for error in baseball is a lot bigger because, you, you know, can you make can play game. more games in right. baseball. In football, you have a zero margin for error because it's a set schedule. And so, what? I mean, maybe they can play on the bye week. And but but when they made the schedule, nobody made the schedule with the anticipation that hey, maybe with COVID, if you got to miss a game, you can well, add I a game they in. Did. So they did. I don't know. I don't know how they do it. I, to me, I think it would almost be like if if say if you got two teams that have obviously have people on the teams that have contracted COVID. I think the next week, the whole league would just have to take a week off, so that way everybody can stay on task. With how many well, games? Well, no. Play. What they did with the schedule, they did uh, some adjusted with bye week. Well, certain teams would have certain bye weeks together, or something along those lines. I think that they put in a, a little bit of something about that. Yeah, but, but they don't. They don't have much wiggle room. And the biggest thing right. is you can't. You can't play. And the reason they don't have wiggle room is because of the nature of the sport. You can't play a midweek game in football. I can't go Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I they got to do it Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. <laughs> I mean, we're not Sunday. Um, but then you, but then you get ten days off when right, you go right, Sunday, right. Thursday. So yeah, yeah I want to ask. So uh, leading up to a season, how much preseason football do you think you need? I mean, you played 11, 10, 11 years. How, how how much football do you have to play to get revved up and in football shape? Is all right. That's a two part question. So to me. I always felt like you didn't. The, there's two reasons for the preseason games. The biggest reason for the preseason game is because you have that undrafted rookie who's trying to make an NFL team. And so it's really for that guy. I mean, you probably, if you got 53 roster spots, you probably got 45 of those spots already that is already in ink. You know, some guy has to do really bad or some guy has to do really good to mess up those 45 spots. The other ones may be up for grab. And the better the team, like the Kansas City Chiefs, they may only have like, four spots that they have open. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because they're a really good team. They already know these guys, they just want us a Super Bowl. We're not replacing the guy unless you do something spectacular. From that standpoint, it's really for the younger guys to prove themselves and to get a chance. So I never thought that we needed that many preseason games because really the stars don't play in all four of them anyway. But from the standpoint of, I think what hurts the NFL season is not so much not having those preseason games, but it was none of the, you know, the OTAs and that type of stuff. Right, and so right. even if, even if I'm working out with my trainer and I'm at home and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. It's nothing like doing football moves to get in football shape with other football guys going full speed. Yeah, I could run routes and stuff like that. But when I'm running routes with the coach there and I'm going full speed repetitively, it's like your body gets conditioned to that and your muscles are moving in that certain position. And moving like a football player is totally different from jogging straight ahead or doing other type of drills. You can simulate it, but you just have to do it and then your body gets used to it. So I think that's part of the reason why you're going to have these injuries. And uh, that, that's just going to be part of it, that that the training staff has to understand that. But I think the acclimation process and stuff like that, we won't really know until we probably go through the – I'm sure they'll have analytics where they'll compare – uh, the first three games of this regular season compared to the first three games of, you know, the last five years to see, hey, were there more turnovers, more interceptions, was it more penalties, was the game sloppier? You know, you can kind of compare and see. And I think from there they say, hey, you know what, we really don't need as many preseason games, et cetera, et cetera. Well, so, yeah, and and I, it should be a, it should be an interesting conversation that, well, they've been of course, trying the to owners eliminate. been trying to cut back on it. Well, the players want to cut back on it because they want you – know, they don't think the four games are necessary, but the, the owners want to expand the season. They want to extend the season to 18 regular season games or, or you know. So I, I, there's a whole lot going on with that. Finally, um, 
in the second half of this podcast, going to hear from your former teammate, Bubba McDowell. And, uh, Bubba Bubba. Yeah, and I've <laughs> talked to Chris Dishman lately. I mean, talk about uh, briefly uh, your experience being the young guy around uh, that group of guys when you came into the NFL with, with all of your former Oiler teammates. And I'm talking about the Houston Oiler teammates before they went to Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, you know, coming in in 92, it was a, a veteran team who had, um, you know, you had all pros, you know, Bubba, Chris, you know, Sean Jones, William Fuller, Ray Childress. So, I mean, it was my job just to just to not mess up pretty much. I was like the young guy who, who had some great examples of how to be a pro. You know, Al Smith probably, you know, I, I wouldn't have played 11 years in the NFL as not for Al Smith who – who not only taught me how to watch film, but then asked me questions about it the next day to make sure I did watch it. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. <laughs> I remember one time I, I said, like, yeah, Al, I see. He's like, what about this? And I was like, uh, what about it? I said, man, Al, really? So I, st- I said, you know what? He said, man, you got to start taking notes. You just can't go home and watch it like it's a movie. So, <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> so, and really that's what I was doing. I was putting it in and talking on the phone and eating dinner and tape was just running. I, yeah, yeah, I watched film, you know, but I didn't really watch film. I just, you know, I didn't really study it. And it's the difference between watching tape and studying it. And then, you know, having that level of accountability from those guys, I didn't realize it then, but it kind of helped me out. And when I got with the Titans, you know, I found myself doing the same thing to, to Keith Bullock and, and other guys who came after me. But the team, I mean, it was it was a, a great team to be on because it was a talented team, especially defensively. But you had guys who were really students of the game. Like, I think, you know, Chris Dishman, when people you know talk about the, the great things he did athletically, but Chris was a student of the game. Like, he, he really studied it. Then Jerry Gray, of course, who went on to be a coach, I mean, my whole rookie year, I was I was totally clueless. And Jerry Gray was playing cornerback. He would just say, "Hey, man, just just do what I say. When you drop back, if I tell you move right or move left, just listen to me." And I I made more plays just listening to Jerry than I ever figured out from actually doing what the quarterback told me to do. So, I mean, it, it was it was a, a fun time, but a, a really a really learning time for me to learn like how to be a pro on and off the field. So I I was really blessed to go to a team that had a bunch of veterans who not only knew the game, but knew what it took to be a professional. Hey, man, we certainly appreciate it. How can folks uh, hit you up on social media? Oh, everything is at E-Rob50, E-R-O-B-5-0. Well, hey, we're caught up on Tour de France and everything else, so we we are good for this time out. We certainly appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, appreciate it. Our guy E-Rob 50, Eddie Robinson, and we certainly appreciate that. Going to take a brief time out, come back on the other side with our conversation with Bubba McDowell, former NFL safety, current Preview A&M coach, and, of course, we have the Lamont Award. So a lot more to go on this edition of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast, anywhere you get your podcast. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and CoBank Homes. The vision at CoBank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust CoBank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. CoBank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. CoBank Homes through Keller Williams.
Welcome back to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast, and uh, we're going to get into an interview with former Houston Oiler and current Prairie View A&M football coach Bubba McDowell. But first, I want to thank our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy on the mix. want to remind you guys, if you have music that you would like played on our podcast, just hit us up. Music at wadeswordproductions.com. That's music at wadeswordproductions.com. In addition to that, if you want to advertise, you certainly can do that, just like Cobank Holmes. Advertise at wadeswordproductions.com. That's advertising at wadeswordproductions.com. The other things that are going on that we did not get into is uh, the NFL moving forward and some college football stuff. There's a lot going on that we didn't get into, and we certainly will. But I want to remind you guys, give us a call, 832-941-6614. Also, I have a a survey on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade page to uh, ask you guys about uh, with the fall coming. When we have an opportunity to do some extra things or different things, want to get your take on what you think we ought to be doing. So, again, that's 832-941-6614. Go to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group page and give us some feedback on that. The Lamont Award is coming up after our conversation with Bubba McDowell. I right, got Bubba McDowell back on the podcast. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing great, my man. How are you? Good. Like a lot of folks trying to stay out of the way of COVID, and um, we talked about it, and unfortunately you had your interaction with it. Talk a little bit about how you feeling first and foremost, because that's what I'm care- I care about. I, you know, I've been knowing you 25 years. I want to make sure you're yeah. good. You good? I'm good. I'm good. Actually, I just got my negative report Saturday, so I'm good to go. So I can get back to work. So tell for, for the listeners out there, tell – people what your experiences were with it uh when it first hit me i started feeling aches all over the back of, of my body you know and it was just weird you know because like i said it's like from the top of my neck to the bottom of my heels it was just like straight crazy nerves like i, I really couldn't even touch back there and, and it was just just my nerves would just go crazy but the minute i touched the front no, I was fine. And then a day later, about a day later, that went away. Then next thing you know, the stuffiness came in, you know, smell, you know. And, I, and I'm again, I'm just thinking it's more of a, uh, of a cold, you know, because I usually get a sinus, sinus issues right around this time of the year, you know. And I, you know, went to one of my favorite restaurants, Lupe Tortilla, to get, to get some of those fajitas. And man, I couldn't <laughs> taste it. <laughs> and I couldn't taste it, man. I'm like, dude, what did they do wrong? And sure enough, it, was, it wasn't them, it was me. You know, look at the symptoms, I said, oh my goodness, definitely one of the symptoms. So that's when I said, you know what, I need to go in there and get tested, you know. And prior to that, you know, before I went and got tested, I had, you know, had, had a slight chill, you know, but it, I mean, that lasted like real quickly. And everything's like just a day after each other, like with the, with the uh, aches. 
the stuffiness and and uh, and unusually, you know, my nose was like burning for like almost, you know, a whole week after I even even after I got the uh positive test. So that that was a little difficult. I normally when I have a sinus infection, I don't even my nose never it just gets stuffy, but it was just unusual burning, man. It was like crazy. I'm like, what is going on with my nose? And sure enough, long story short, I you know, I had it so how was your level of anxiety with it? Because, again, you never know with this this virus how it's going to affect you. It could be something where you don't even notice it, or it could be something fatal for some people. Where was your level of anxiety with all of that? I was I was a little nervous. I ain't going to lie. I was a little nervous only because of the ache part of it, you know, which I hadn't felt before. That's the only thing that made me nervous. But, again, as as each day went, you know, it was something different. And, you know, by that third day, you know, I just I just had the stuffiness, and that was it. And I, I and I'm like, geez, man, I'm I'm so blessed to have that's all that was wrong with me again. You know, because I talked talk to my cousin, my family members, and he, he's a cop there in uh, Jacksonville, and he ended up going to the hospital, you know, because of res- respiratory uh, failure, and you know, he was in there for two or three days, and he got sent home, you know, with the oxygen tank and all that. So, I, I mean, how's I he doing very, now? He's doing great. He's doing great. And like I said, I'm very blessed and a little nervous at the same time. How does, has your perspective changed on the illness after you've had it? Well, it definitely make me, you know, <laughs> make me aware of a lot of things, you know, for sure, you know. And again, just washing hands and just doing all the precautionary things that they tell you to do, man. You got to do it, man. Because again, and the reason why you have to do it because you don't know how it's going to affect you, you know. And uh, again, this was after what I, I got positive tests on 11 of July, dude, and I just got negative like now. You know, okay. I had my two, yeah, I just had my two weeks uh, incubation deal, and shoot, I went like three weeks after that. You know, fourth week being my last week, this past weekend, and I was still testing positive. But Doc was like, "Hey, you know what? You're fine, but he said I think you should just keep your mask on." He said, "You know, you've been in there for two weeks." You're not contagious, you know. Usually, it sits in your system for two weeks in the past. And I'm like, you sure? Like that? He said, yeah, I'm sure. He said, just make sure that you wear your mask if you go out, because again, you don't know if it's going to reaffect you. Because they have some cases very rare, but have have seen some cases where they uh people have gotten it twice, and then he, he said, you know, you don't know how it's going to affect you the second time around if you were to get it. And I said, absolutely. So, you know, I just kind of stayed in and, you know, just made, made sure it passed, you know. Your role as a coach for Prairie View <laughs> is very important. How does that affect how you think about bringing your kids in? And, of course, we know that the SWAC has postponed the season to the spring. They came out with the schedule today. Uh, what are your thoughts on really just let's start with college football across the board. Do you think it's safe? for these major conferences to move forward with playing in the fall? I, you know, I, I, honestly, in my opinion, I would say probably not because, again, we don't know where these young men are coming from, you know, and and they're still getting it, you know what I'm saying? And, and not only them, but, you know, just, you know, some administrators as well. So, again, if, if you're not in position, my, my take is if you're not in position to test every week, you know, to make sure that these kids or your administrator, your staff is, you know, is uh, not going to be affected by it. Or I would say, yes, you do it then. But again, you know, you're bringing in people, kids from different areas where they've been back home, hanging around different folks. And again, 
you know, even if you bring them on the campus, then, you know, you got those kids that stand off campus. You got those kids that may want to go back home. And, you know, then, you know, then, you know, they it may gets carry really, back. To, yeah, it gets yeah, complicated. Yeah. So, complicated. so a, a couple of things I want to get into. <laughs> Last time out on the podcast, had a chance to talk to your teammate, Chris Dishman, uh, a real good friend of yours. And we talked about My your boy. health. Yeah, we talked about your health. And we talked, of course, you know, it's hard for me personally because – I, when I started in the media, I started with you guys. You guys were like the, the first group because I was one of the youngest guys that was around the NFL team yeah. every week. And so, right. um, you know, I've been – so it's always a, a special time for me. Talk, I asked him this, and I'll ask you, talk a little bit about how it feels to be associated with the Oilers when there's so much love still around for you guys. It really is, and it's absolutely mind-boggling because, again, you still go out, even with the Texans being here, and they've been so generous to bring in older guys from the Oilers and then kind of sign autographs, you know, at different times of the year during the season. I mean, it, I mean, it, it's, it's been great. I mean, and, you know, again, you, you don't – I'm not sure how, how it works, you know, or how it would have worked in other cities where teams have left and um, brought in another team, and then they accept the older, the old team, as well as he should have accepted us, man. I'm telling you, it's been great. Awesome. What I say to, and I mentioned this, I think that the Oilers represented the city of Houston better than the Texans do. And, and I mean personality-wise, it was like, and maybe it was just because of that era when athletes were much more accessible. They moved around town freely. And it's a little bit different now with social media. These guys always yeah. have have a, a cell phone taping anything that they do. But it seemed mm -hmm. like you guys were really a fabric, a part of this community in ways that maybe the modern football player or the current football players aren't. Well, what do you think about that? And it's funny you mentioned it because, you know, and kind of talk with Candace Mayberry about that, you know, who kind of headed up the um, our program, you know, with, with the, uh, well, it's not anymore. So we decided this year they decided to cut it off. So now they're basically bringing in, you know, current players, you know, and which is really good. Because, again, like I was telling Candace, don't feel bad for us, you know, because, you know, you guys are moving on. We knew we were going to come to this point at, at some some point in time, he's going to come to this decision, and and you guys should start embracing these young men, the ones that have came here, started with the team, and now retired. Because these are the people, the kids and players that are uh, not kids, but the players that these guys want to, you know, Houston wants to see. And the more they, get, the more they get out there, and of course, you know, the more that they win and do well in playoffs. Now you got to understand too that you know things won't, you know, it'll get better for the city. But again some point, you know, we, we had, what, seven, six straight, you know, playoff appearances, you know, even though we, you know, we, we lost some big ones that we should have won, but we were still in there. We were still in the playoffs. So, you know, that, that helps. Winning, winning always helps. So let me ask you this. Now, you didn't end your career in Houston. When, in your travels around the NFL and even in your conversation with other guys, how do the Houston Oilers fans, how did they – sort of stack up against other fan bases from, from your conversations with uh, with other guys from around the league? Bro, I, and, I, and I'm not just saying it, honestly, people. I'm not saying it just because I was blessed to be a part of this of organization when it was Houston all but stacked up. And like, I mean, it's no comparison, you know, to some of the guys that I talked to, even when I was at Carolina. You know, of course, I got out of there early. I was only there two years, but... Again, I have police from Sations Converse uh, with friends that's still there and 
and and I'm gonna tell you, man, it's 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 not even a comparison the way that Houston uh, uh, people, you know, still accepting the Oilers like like they do. As it, I mean, to me, almost like they, they like they still still here, just still ready to play. You know, at any point, you can just take the Texans and and, and, and toss them to the side. And and reestablish that name, and and it, it, I mean, you, you won't skip a beat. I mean, after I said, like I said, it's been it's been great, been phenomenal, man. Just the way that the the city has still, uh, you know, embraced uh, a lot of the older guys here in town. Now, one of the things in talking to, to Chris and I, I, Eddie is out on the podcast all every other week, and I talk to Haywood every day. One of the things that is missing for a lot of those guys, and I'm, I want to get your take on this, is that you know you don't. It's like almost like you don't really have a place because the the Oilers are gone, and you really don't have any association with the Nashville team. Uh, that took all yeah. your records. It took all your. It took everything with them. I mean, a lot of you guys would have been in the the franchise Hall of Fame had you know had the the team remain here. Do you feel like a man without a country? Because you know, of course, yeah. you, you guys didn't play for the Texans or McNair. Uh, your all your the, the all your affiliations are with the Tennessee Titans. Uh, what's your take on that? We are the middleman. That's absolutely right between you know Tennessee and and. And the Texas, we are definitely the middle man, and and uh, and I'll be lying to say, say that you know that it, that it doesn't hurt because it does, but it's still at the same time I think the Texans has done a wonderful job. Even 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 Tennessee, you know they they you know they finally put together uh, the Oilers reunion, which was great. Seeing a lot of the older guys, you know, when they brought it back here to uh, Houston uh, last year, we were going to have it again this year before the COVID deal hit. So. And like I say, um, Texans has been great, you know, inviting, you know, guys in from from the Oilers and to sign autographs or, or to be at one of their events. So, and again, it, you know, being that we are in the middle, it still feels good to be able to go, you know, and say, hey, you know, you want it by this, the local team, you want it by the team in Tennessee. So, that, and again, to me, that always feels good to know that, they are still out there. Uh, those two teams are still out there embracing embracing the Oilers. And how many of your former teammates, uh, your former Oiler guys, do you still uh, keep in contact with? Well, of course, my boy always, you know, this, you know, we, we talk, you know, because we're still in the coaching business, you know, just kind of uh, throwing ideas out at each other. Um, Steve, Marcus, you know, we still have our little um, golf tournament every year uh, prior to the COVID deal, so which which a wrench in it. Um, a lot of guys, John Herring, that's my dude. We go out, you know, as much as we can play uh, golf here. Uh, Lonzo, when he's in town. So, you know, again, you know, Pat Coleman, you know, he, he's part of that little golf group that we that we have. So, not as many as I would, I would like, um, but uh, that's still a good number. And those are the guys that, you know, that I kind of grew up with as well. Ernest Gibbons. Ernest was just in town two weeks ago. Yeah, I heard he's moving um, back. That's what Haywood told yeah, me. That's what he told me. Yeah, that's what he told me. So, yeah, uh, not as many as I would like, but, yeah, it, it, it's been good. 
Well, see, like a, a lot of guys will ask about, ask me about you guys. Like, oh, hey, what? Oh, you talk to Bubba? Oh, you talk to the dish? Oh, and, and Eddie, I'm, I talk to Eddie all the time. So, yeah, I, it's it's, it's kind of weird that I and then PC, you know, Pat, I talk to him, and uh, of course, uh, one of the one of those uh, these uh, all of the guys came in studio, and we that was the day I think we had a mix up. You came to the wrong door, and I couldn't connect I did, with. Right. Yeah, 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 I hated that because I wanted you to be a part of that. But um, that being said, a lot of you guys have gone into coaching, and you've been really dedicated. And, and a number of you guys, Steve Jackson, uh, uh, Dish, a number of you guys have been really dedicated to a coaching career. Uh, talk a little yeah. bit about, I mean, what, what's keeping you in it so long? I think for me, and again, I can't, I can't speak for everybody else, but, you know, what I do tell guys is that, you know, their, their, their service is needed with these young men today that, that are that are trying to get to whatever level they're coming from to the next level. And you know, and if they are if they are gonna be embraced by coaches that are already on on the team and they're gonna let these NFL guys uh, or former NFL guys, um former college guys from a great team come in and help out, I mean, do that. And I and I and I, and I tell them that's a man because again you have no idea how much these kids think they know, but they don't know. And, I, and it's like it's growing every year because, again, you got now, like you said, with social media and all that, the kids think they know everything. And and, that, and that's just part of their DNA, you know what I'm saying? And, and you got to kind of put them, bring them back down to earth every now and again. And, again, for me, the satisfaction there, as you said earlier, asked earlier, knowing that that kid has uh, graduated even if he doesn't make it to the to the next level, because again, you know, very few of us make it there. That big one percent, two percent that they say makes it to the next level. It's just the fact that I had a chance to mentor that young man or young men um, as they as they transition from year to year. And hopefully, again, hopefully if they if they if they're good enough, you know, like I tell them to do, I can't get you there. You know, I can only coach you, put you in position, make a play. But at the end of the day, you got to make those plays on the field because that's what they're going to come to see. If you're not making plays, they're not going to come get you. And and a lot of kids like that because I shoot it to them straight from the beginning. And I tell my secondary that every day. I said, come on, man. You got to make plays. You, you got four interceptions and you could have had six. I mean, you could have had ten. We could have led – like last year, we could uh, the year before, we could have led the lead, the whole uh, college league in, in the seven. You drop four, you drop five. I said, dude, that five, you could have been at nine. So, you know, again, it's about teaching and mentoring these young men to teach them to go the right way if possible. Well, of course, you've had some success at Prairie View. Uh, you've been in the game for a long time, and you guys really uh, – and and I say this all the time. You guys have had opportunities to really oh, uh, go to the oh, SWAG man. championship oh, and man. and just hadn't capitalized on – it's it's almost like – and maybe you can help uh, help the folks understand. It's, you get to a certain point, and then it's, it seems like some point in the season you may have that big win, that, that win, that, that signature win, and then you it just falls apart for you guys. What, what What's been happening to the PV teams over the last few years? I don't know. I, again, I don't know. I don't know if we just get to the point. I think – I say I don't know because, again, uh, I don't know. Because, again, you, you don't know what's going on with these young men. And, again, you try to keep them focused. And, it's, and like you said, for me, it's kind of like all over again because I've been through that same situation. Even at Miami. I mean, we, we were on the verge of winning – you know, in the national championship, didn't, didn't do it. 
know, against Tennessee that one year Sugar Bowl, against, you know, Penn State in the Fiesta Bowl. I mean, I like I tell the kids, I, man, I could have had at least four rings on my hand. We finally won against 80, in 87, then get to the Oilers, you know, and again, we're on the we're, we're playoff, 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 and doom. We, we had a chance to, you know, to, to go to the big one, and then, then boom, we let that one go. One of the biggest, you know, comebacks ever in, in uh, National Football League. And again, same thing with PV, you know, and I'm, I'm like, God, oh, no, what is it that, you know, because at one point I thought it was just me. I'm like, man, maybe I'm the bad luck, you know what I'm saying? But again, I guess just trying to get them to figure it out how to play just constant four quarters of football. You, you don't ever get comfortable in, in, in where you are, you know, and I think it's, if, if I can teach them that, a lot of them are getting that now, but they're starting to understand what it takes to get to the next level or what it takes to be productive as a young man once I leave college, you know. So if I can get them to, to play at a consistent basis where, again, we know it's hard to do, but if I can get them to play at 90% of the time hard, you know, we can win a lot of those games. We, you know, starting, you know, going forward from, from, from this year forward, we can win a lot of those games. And, of course, you know, as well as I know, you know, you got to have athletes to do it. Yeah, and so I want to ask you, with this delay, I mean, this is an unprecedented thing. Nobody's experienced this before. How is the, the Prairie View coaching staff approaching the this extra time before we hope, we certainly hope that we are able to get underway in the spring? How are you guys approaching that as a staff? Oh, man, Coach Dooley has done a remarkable job. Coach, he's a man of God. You know, again, you know, we – you know, just kind of how we how we how we start today. You know, and we've been doing this uh, really seriously. I, I'm not lying. We've been doing this since the COVID deal. We're, our, our day starts at 8:30. Boom. We, and again, we're we're praying before we start the meeting. Uh, and again, each player. I mean, each play each person. Whoever wants to pray can pray. Yada yada. Then we get into our meeting, discussing what we're gonna do for the day. And we've had we'll meet. Uh, meet special team, then we'll meet with, um, take a break for lunch, then we'll come back at 115, we'll watch some of our old stuff and practice. We got a chance to have like seven practice, eight practice before all this hit, and then we had to stop. So we'll come back, we'll watch some of that, offense, defense, and we're just kind of, you know, critiquing each other, you know, and trying to get better coaching. Then we'll go from there, go to special teams with the players on Zoom, then from special teams straight to, uh, uh, unit meeting um, uh, one day, then we'll go individual meetings uh, uh, the next day, and we'll switch that out from Monday through Thursday. And then Friday we'll, we'll have um, we'll have like a, a team meeting at twelve, and the kids are off, you know, back, to, you know, back to Monday. So we we've been doing that since it happened. You know, so the kids are on campus. No, no, they're no, not on okay, campus. They're, they're wherever they are. Okay. They're wherever they are, they they actually report uh, reported today. Freshman and some of the older guys reported back to uh, day checking in, checking in today. So while you know we'll be checking in from today through the twenty sixth. And what do you do to keep these guys engaged? Because you know remote learning is a new thing for a lot of people. How how do you make sure your guys are staying in shape and and doing the things that they're supposed to do and not being Sort of risky with their behavior. How how, you know, how do you coach a guy from afar? Uh, again, like like what Coach Drew basically told us. I said, "Look, this, excuse me, this is your job. This is what you do. You know, 
if you again, if, we, if we're going to be the best that we want to be, and again, like you said earlier, not give up those games that we should have won in order to to win the SWAT, we got to be on these kids twenty four seven basically. I mean, you you got to be able to have this phone on, answer whatever calls comes through. You know, twenty four seven. That that's what we do. This is our job. You either like it or you don't like it. If you don't like it, then you need to move on. We'll get somebody else in there. So again, we're on Zoom with them. We we we're, you know not on not only throughout the day, but then we'll just call around. You know, you know different times. You know different guys and see how they're doing. Say, uh, making sure that everything is okay. So we've been again. We've been we, and again we just do this individually. Sometimes I'll just meet with my guys. You know, outside of football, hey, you know, as Coach Dooley, you know, told us to say, look, you know, let's just call them, check up on them, just see how the family doing, see how they doing. You know, don't talk football, don't say nothing about football. You just see how they're doing, you know. And I and I think the kids respect that because again, you know, now that now they're seeing that how these coaches really really care about not only just football but you know their their personal life. So that's what we do every single day. You know, we're constantly zooming. Um, we have kind of like a little walkthrough on Zoom. Coach Leonard, our strength conditioning coach, they have to send like a video or a text right before they get ready to work out and basically showing showing him, you know, hey, this is what we're doing until they get back on campus. This is what they were doing until they get back on campus starting today. Do you anticipate all of your guys, some of your seniors? Because now what you're facing playing in the spring is you're up against time that people usually take to get prepared to try to enter the draft or to be drafted mm-hmm. or to be signed as a free agent. Uh, what do you tell the kids about that? Because because we don't know if the NFL is going to move back the draft at all. I suspect right. that if a number of these com- conferences have to move to the spring, that the NFL may push their draft back a little bit. But there's still going to be some big-time guys that don't play. What are you telling your guys about performing in the spring so close to NFL draft and NFL free agency? Well, again, it doesn't matter when where they when they perform, how you know how they perform. You know what I'm saying? Whether it's the spring, winter, fall, whatever it may be, you still got to go out there, as I said earlier, and put good tape out there so these uh, uh, NFL team can come in and say, "Hey, I don't care if it's seven games; they better be the, your best seven games." In case they decide, you know what, we are gonna go go ahead and through with the draft. You know what I'm saying? So you you got again get that mindset that this is what. I, I want to do, and this is what I have to do if I'm trying to reach that next level. Not saying that you will, but if you take that approach, you know things will be much better for him, for them. Should I say going, uh, going to each game, and again to the end of the season, however game that may be. Well, you know, I want to ask you also about the SWAC expansion. Now Florida has come to the SWAC with Bethune-Cookman oh, and FAMU <laughs> and a, a coach uh, that you formerly worked with and Coach Willie Simmons. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, FAMU and Bethune-Cookman coming to the SWAC. Man, I love it. I mean, it's going it's to make us a powerhouse. You know, now we're going to be recruiting. Not like we wasn't, but, again, we're still going to be recruiting more so now for the same kids. Uh, again, like you said, Coach with Willie here at PV, Coach with Terry at Texas Southern. So I know, and everybody knows that. Know that those two programs are up and coming. You know, Willie's turned around, fam. You know, back getting it back to the fam uh, glory days. Bethune is still winning. You know, uh, Terry's doing the seems to be doing a good job there. So man, I I am so excited, man. You know, when the first new, when the news first hit, we was talking about it in the staff meeting. 
I'm like looking at myself like, oh, man, I hope this happened. I hope Charles go ahead and bring these dudes in, man. But you kind of knew that's what uh, Mr. McCullum was, was, was trying to do, some of the actions that he was taking. You know, we, we didn't know for sure. But, you know, once it once that happened, we were like, oh, man, this is going to be awesome, man. It's going to make us a powerhouse, I really believe. Because now you're going to see a lot of kids um, competing. I, I think competing at, at a high level. Because you got so many good coaches in the SWAT, man. Now and 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 you're gonna see these kids, you know, step it up another level as well as the coaches. Are you gonna? Uh, you think the swag will be able to recruit, and not just those two <laughs> schools, but the rest of you guys are gonna be able to go in there and get some kids out of Florida more than usual. I think so. Oh, absolutely. I and mean, we've been in Florida. Yeah, we, we we've been in Florida. You know, um, we just didn't go this past season. Uh, and but we we have been there and we 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 you know got kids out of Florida especially when um when Heist was there uh his coach at, head coach at LPV we had we had several several kids one of our best linebackers Jerome Jerome Howell you know on the Hall of Fame deal and he you know he was from Florida from from uh deep south so. We, I think we're definitely going to be able to compete with them, absolutely. Well, I know you're going to want to make that your, your recruiting territory. I know that. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, man, no well, look, I want to thank you. We could go on and on, but we'll try to visit again before the season starts. But I want to thank you for your time. And more importantly, man, I am so glad that you, you're feeling well and you're doing well. You've always, And I tell you this all the time, man, I really appreciate you, even from the days when I was the, the youngest cat in the locker room you guys always took time and treated me with respect and treated me like a professional even when I was just starting out so I really always have appreciated your friendship and, and just your insight absolutely. man I really appreciate absolutely. you absolutely my brother you know anytime you need me you just holler you know God willing I'll be there well, hey, I tell you what, uh, we'll see you. I, I saw the schedule. We know that it's the second game in the spring for yeah. for Texas. I want to say it's March first. I think we'll be we'll be down there for the the <laughs> Labor Day Classic in February yeah. or in March yeah. or whatever. So we look forward to it, and uh, we'll check back in with you before the season starts. Absolutely, my man. Appreciate it. I want to thank our guy Bubba McDowell, one of the truly good guys who played in the NFL and uh, a good guy coaching at Prairie View A&M. And it's just a, um, a short matter of time before he'll be a head coach. And we've always, uh, I've always advocated for that anytime a significant opening comes up. I'm always uh, sort of beating the drum for Bubba McDowell. Want to get into the Lamont Award, but first, breaking news as the Milwaukee Bucks have chosen to sit out of tonight's game versus the Orlando. Magic Game 5 of their playoff series to protest the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Again, I made mention of it a little bit earlier. We'll go more into it in future podcasts, but it, this just came down, and I wonder moving forward uh, as they as we take this, uh, record this podcast, if the Rockets-Oklahoma City game will take place this evening and if Portland and L.A. will take place. So we don't know yet. This is really like right hot off the presses, so we'll have to see what happens. But I'll tell you what, I applaud them for doing this because they've been in the bubble and they know, hey, the first question out is going to be about the game. Then the players like LeBron have redirected them to say, hey, no, wait a minute. That's cool, but this is what we're really here for. I've heard Chris Paul do it. And then they go right back to basketball questions. And, and so a lot of people really just don't. It's almost like COVID fatigue. If you think people are tired of COVID, imagine being a black man in America. That's that's true fatigue. 
because that's all the time. And, and I think for a lot of people, there's so much shock, but I've seen so much. I've, I've, it's hard for me to explain if you don't know what I'm talking about. And if you know what I'm talking about, I really don't have to explain. It happens so much. It's happened to everybody that I know so on some level, and whether it's forcing you to get out of the car and sit on the curb for a routine traffic stop or just the, the tone of disrespect or suspicion. All, all of the things that happen all the time. So it's not it's not a shocking thing. For me, George Floyd was much more shocking in that eight minutes and 42 seconds. I mean, just to sit there and do that for as long as you did that, I, that's an absence of humanity. So that that's a lot different. And, and again, it's equally as bad. But just the, the pure evil to sit on a man's neck for that long when he's begging for his life. That's what shook me up. Things like the the Blake incident, we've seen that time and time again. I'm, you know, even they've made movies about it, Fruitville Station, and all the things. I mean, this happens a lot, a lot. And so, yeah, the NBA players decided to step up and do their part, and I certainly applaud them for that. And we'll see how this thing goes moving forward. But I'll tell you what, this can shake up things a whole lot. This will be a lead story. I mean, obviously we have Hurricane Laura. We have the Republican convention, and maybe that will trump, pun intended, uh, this, uh, <laughs> this crazy Republican convention, which is sort of detached from reality if you listen to some of the stuff. And, and I'm not going to rev myself up or gas like myself by watching that uh, all this week but that's a different issue but again i can get your take on any of that so, well 832 i was gonna give you my my the ktsu phone number it's 832-941-6614 leave your comments leave your comments 832-941-6614 and we will get them on the next podcast but right now it's time for the Lamont Award. I don't want to wish you no bad luck, but I hope your ship sinks. With no lifeboats and no life preservers and a school of piranhas surrounding you, you big dummy. The Lamont Award goes to the player team entity somewhere in or around the world of sports that we deem to be the big dummy of the episode. Now, this one is debatable. And, and I'll give you one take, and then I can kind of pivot and show you the other side of that. So you can decide for yourself who's the real big dummy in this situation. Well, one of the worst things you can do is get fired on your off day. But in lieu of that, which happened to me, by the way, that's happened to me. I've gotten fired on my off day. <laughs> so we know how that goes sometimes. But it's a terrible thing to get fired on your off day. It's a, it also a terrible thing to get fined $50,000 on your off day. And this is what happened to Draymond Green recently. And you've probably heard about this, but we have to acknowledge this. He was sitting in with the fellas on Inside the NBA on TNT, and he got into a discussion about Devin Booker of the Phoenix Suns. And he went on to say that he needs to get out of there. He needs to break away from that team and get away from that organization to go play for a real team. Now, did that mean he was uh, sort of on the not so low, uh, suggesting that he come play for the Golden State Warriors? Hey, the NBA apparently thought so, and they fined him $50,000 for the tampering, which makes Draymond a big dummy. Because you, you kind of know that it's not unprecedented that guys get fined for tampering in these sorts of situations. But here's where you can make the NBA the big dummy. These guys talk all the time. He probably could have talked to Devin Booker if he stepped two feet off the set. 
So they have relationships and their agents have relationships and all of this stuff we know happens because it's well documented. Uh, you know, the, the vacations and the dream team mergers where they decide, how, you know, the Olympic mergers where we're going to get together during the Olympics and decide how we're going to move forward. So that with Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, all that and, and Chris Bosh. So we've seen this sort of thing before. So they, they, it's not a big deal. So is the NBA the big dummy in this situation? I'll leave it up to you because why are you going to find a guy when he can, you know this has no weight this is not going to persuade Devin Booker in the least by the way I think he's under contract for a few more years so he can't go anywhere anyway although if he demands it the NBA they will trade you in a heartbeat so I say all that to say this Draymond you know you on national TV the most popular basketball show on television period you know millions of people were watching and you know what you did was a little bit out of line and it cost you 50 grand which is again a drop in the bucket for you but for everybody else and me included that makes you a big dummy you big dummy <laughs> <laughs> Now, I think the NBA has a ton of work to do when it comes to all of that, uh, whether, you know, tamper. I, I don't know how you prevent tampering in that situation. I don't think that's tampering per se. I think so much other sort of behind the scenes, under the table dealings uh, take place in the NBA. And, and bottom line, if guys want to team up and play together because they've been knowing each other since AAU you know, 15 years ago, then of course, Hey, they're going to do it. And so you can't really stop it. But I, I really don't think the NBA should have found him. They should have had a conversation and we never should have knew about it. So in that regard, the NBA is a big dummy with that before I let go. Before I let go, hey, want to thank you guys for listening. Want to thank all the new listeners. Want to remind you, go to wadeswordproductions.com where you can catch up on past episodes and subscribe to the email list. Um, want to thank Bubba McDowell and from our special teams unit, Eddie Robinson. Of course, want to thank Cobank Holmes and our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy. Want to remind you guys, call us on the sports line at 832-941-6614. And you can go to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade page and group on facebook and finally you can follow me on twitter at wade's word with that i want you guys to remember these four things number one i don't do no favors after six o'clock in the evening two i ain't got no money three i'm not harboring any fugitives from justice and four bye <laughs> this has been the sports talk with Devin wade podcast remember you can follow him on twitter at wade's word Thank you for listening.